Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Since May 2018, I've been interviewing some of the incredible researchers who've published in Heredity. But all good things come to an end. And after five years and 87 episodes, this is going to be my last Heredity Podcast. Of course, the podcast will go on without me and I'm leaving it in a pair of safe and familiar hands. I'm delighted to introduce the new host of the Heredity Podcast, Michael Pointer. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey James, lovely to be back. So some people might actually recognize either your name or your voice or both because you've actually been on the podcast three times already. But for everyone else, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and the kind of research that you do? Absolutely. So I've been on before talking about tribolium beetles and what a great model system they are. And I use them to study various aspects of population biology, things like how does dispersal evolve and how does sexual selection affect population fitness. Amazing. Uh, And of course, Mike, you aren't the only new face at Heredity because last year, Professor Barbara Mabel stepped down as editor-in-chief after a really successful tenure. So also joining us is the new editor-in-chief, Professor Sarah Goodacre. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks ever so much, James. And hello to Mike too. Personally, it feels really poetic that you're on this episode because you were actually on my very first episode way back in June 2018. But for those who haven't been with us since the very start, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your research? So my name's Sarah Goodacre and I'm a professor at the University of Nottingham. But I've really been part of this heredity community, particularly in the area of population genetics for a long time, for decades, in fact. My first conferences were within this community and I've really stayed in it throughout all of my research career. So I'm really excited to now be part of what comes out of this community, which is uh, the research and actually its published forms. Amazing. And the aim of this podcast is really for people to get to know both of you. And Sarah, since you've been in Post now for about eight months, I thought we could start with you. What is it that made you want to take on the role of Editor-in-Chief of Heredity? Being editor-in-chief of a journal like Heredity is obviously something that you think very carefully about and are absolutely delighted that someone might ask you to consider doing. Um, This podcast, I think, is one of the reasons why I feel Heredity is such a good place to try and make a contribution as an editor. It's a space where members of my group have had a chance to talk about their work, and it really reflects the kind of community that it is. So I work now on... um, spiders, eight-legged creatures and their silk genes. And seeing uh, a member of my group talk about their research and really feel that the community is interested in what they're doing and to have that as part of a journal, part of publishing it, um, has really been fantastic. So I think I'm really excited to be part of the community. I feel like this is my home. And what's incredibly exciting in an editorial role is to see all the science that is coming through. And I found that to actually be one of the most exhilarating and humbling experiences as you see the new things that are about to emerge on our published landscape for everybody to read. Mm, Definitely and I guess you kind of hinted at a few bits there but uh, how has it been going so far? I've really enjoyed the process thus far. What I've enjoyed is thinking about the whole way in which we do things not just what we do 
And if I can sort of have as a an aim for what I'd like to see, I'd like to see how we can include as many people as possible at all stages of the process. So who is doing the science, how we're doing it, how we're reviewing it, how we're deciding what to publish. And also, and this podcast is a great example, how we're trying to communicate it and to whom we're trying to communicate our findings and our thoughts, because it all then informs the next experiments that we do. And as a community, I think we're really good at talking to each other about the things that we think are important and the way in which we want to do those things that we believe matter. Mm, definitely. And I think it's kind of a testament to the way that you've come in that the transition between you and Barbara was incredibly smooth. You've been incredibly enthusiastic about everything the journal's been doing. But I'm really curious to know as to whether or not there's anything that you're hoping to achieve during your time as editor-in-chief. It's been a really good transition period from Barbara Mabel, who was a brilliant editor-in-chief before me. And that probably speaks to one of the things that I'd like to see going forward, which is how we mentor people throughout all stages. So Barbara advised me, she told me how things worked. She introduced me to the things that she had tried as editor-in-chief. And so she shared all that collective wisdom, if you like, those top tips and thoughts. One of the things I'd really like to build on, which really builds on what people have done over the last decades, is to increase the diversity of editors within our associate editorship. Because there you just get this really vibrant community, which it is, of people with different thoughts and ideas from all around the world who come from perhaps slightly different traditions, but all of whom are kind of pointing forward to what should the future look like? If you look how far the Genetic Society, which is uh, behind the journal Heredity and Heredity itself has come, I found an old copy of the journal from 1978. My PhD supervisor, Professor Brian Clark, who was one of the real sort of brilliant members of the population genetics community, I found amongst his things an old copy of Heredity from 1978. And the cover looks rather different now. And the shape and the size, the physical size of the journal is rather different. Um, But the scientific sort of spirit remains the same. And yet we are moving forward. We are more forward looking. We are trying to embrace new ways of doing things. And one of those opportunities comes from just having a large number of voices in the room, whether it's in terms of being an author or whether it's in terms of how we are act as editors. We have really good editorial board meetings where we just talk about how our different countries are coping with challenges that are being thrown in our our ways and to try and make the most of those opportunities. So what I'd really like to see is at the end of my time, whenever I stop doing this role, is that we have more thoughts, more ideas, and we tried some of them out in a very sort of um, uh, trying out sort of a way where we accept that not everything will work exactly as we intend, but that we hopefully leave things a a bit further forward than when we arrived. Mm, Definitely. And during my time, I've actually had the privilege of interviewing quite a few of the editors and 201. They're just a fantastic group of people. They're all doing incredible research and they're all incredibly enthusiastic about the journal and the community. And you've kind of mentioned a few times about communicating within our community. So for people listening, what is it that you are looking for in a paper that's submitted to the journal and why should people be sending us their work? All papers that Heredity publishes try to appeal to a wide audience. So they may well be talking about something very specific. So in my own case, it's highly likely there will be a spider involved somewhere. And that's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. The key thing is the principles that you're illustrating are of interest to a wide audience. It may not be something that somebody's going to apply in their own work. That doesn't have to be the case. But it's of interest to them as a scientist in a related scientific area. And so what I would say is the papers that we're looking for may be very detailed and very precise, but they will appeal to a broader audience than just the researcher's own perhaps quite narrow or slim area. 
So that would be my main message in suggesting to people to frame their work in such a way that the relevance to someone in a lab next door, someone in a, a lab in an institution far, far away would think that really matters. And I find that really interesting. And I think many people do a fantastic job of doing that and describing why what they're doing really is significant and important and matters. Mm, for sure. I definitely agree. Of course, if they do send us a paper and it is accepted, they may get invited to participate in a podcast interview. And that brings us back to you, Mike. What is it that made you want to take over the podcast? Well, in combination with the fact that I enjoy making podcasts and the fantastic community that exists around Heredity, it's the same things that got me listening to the podcast in the first place. You can tell that the authors are passionate about communicating the science that they're doing and why wouldn't I want to be a part of that? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Every single time I've interviewed people, they've all been incredibly enthusiastic and incredibly excited to share their work. And as you were just saying there, you do have some experience creating these kinds of podcasts already. So I'm curious to know what you think makes a good research podcast. What will you be looking for in papers that are coming through Heredity? Uh, so I'm going to be looking for compelling stories. That's what I want as a listener. And as you both definitely already know, good science is just storytelling. So the authors and the editors and the reviewers will have done a lot of my job for me already. And I just think I need to follow what interests me. Of course, a charismatic study species or some adventurous fieldwork always helps to hook me in. Mm, definitely. And uh, there's always that little treat as well, where sometimes you don't realize that there's some incredible fieldwork stories behind a paper. And being able to interview people on a podcast can really get to some of those stories. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun to hear them. And if a researcher publishes a paper in Heredity and then gets an email from you inviting them for an interview, why should they say yes? Uh, great question. Well, first of all, from having been on the other side of your microphone, I can say that it's great fun. And secondly, that podcasts are a great way to get your research out. So that's both to people who might have seen it in the journal anyway, and also the more casual amateur scientists who probably wouldn't have. Mm, definitely. So you haven't taken over just yet officially, but how are you feeling about it and what are you hoping to do with the podcast? Is there anything that you are hoping to achieve in this new role? Uh, I haven't taken over just yet. I'll be flying solo from next month. In the first instance, I'm looking to continue your good work. You've done a great job and I don't think it's broke, so I'm not going to fix anything. Once I've found my feet, I might try some kind of highlights feature to talk briefly about a couple more papers each episode, but exactly what form that will take remains to be seen. Mm, I will obviously keep on listening to the podcast and I can't wait to hear what it is that you do with it. Um, and to be honest, I think it's about time. The episode isn't over, but I guess my job officially is. So Michael Pointer, it's officially over to you, our new host and producer of the Heredity podcast. Thanks, James. And a more official hello to everybody. In my first act as new host, I think I'd like to turn the tables on you, James, and find out a bit more about the old host. So who have you been listening to until now? How did James Bergen come to be the voice of the Heredity podcast? And what fresh pastures is he going on to from here? Yeah, so almost a bit like Sarah, uh, I was also mentored by Barbara Mabel. And I guess the story of how I started with the podcast goes back to my PhD which I did with Barbara and another researcher called Catherine Elmer at the University of Glasgow. And they're both excellent researchers. You should check out their work. 
But while I was there, I got heavily involved in outreach and science communication. I ended up becoming one of the key players in my institute's blog and podcast called Naturally Speaking. I wrote and made podcasts for the student magazine at Glasgow called The Glasgow Gist. And I did a lot of work on this science outreach project called STEM and the Gorbals, which basically were helping school pupils interview researchers and make podcasts. And all of that stuff I really loved and was thinking about moving into a career in that. And then just after my PhD Viva in 2018, Barbara came to me and basically said, there used to be a heredity podcast. The guy who did it has since moved on. We'd like to revive it. Is this something that you would be interested in helping us do? Um, and not having a job and loving making podcasts, I was like, yes, I absolutely want to do that. <laughs> um, and I guess five years later, it's worked really successfully. Gensoc have been incredibly supportive. Um, I've been able to interview some incredible researchers, and it's really been an amazing experience. And a lot of it has basically come out of doing those side projects during my PhD as a way of almost alleviating some of the stress from my PhD. Um, what I'm moving on to next is a bit different. So since finishing my PhD, I've been moving away from biology. And for the past few years, I've been working as an instructional designer. So basically what I do is I create e-learning and classroom-based courses in various aspects of measurement science. So like the last one I've worked on has been on trustworthy artificial intelligence. So it's a different kind of science communication. And I've been focusing very heavily on user experience, accessibility, inclusivity. I've started joining some equalities committees at my work. I've joined my local union, become a rep there. So what I've moved into more has been education and effectively equalities and diversity and inclusion. Cool. Well, it sounds like you're not going to be getting bored. No, not at all. <laughs> While we've still got you here, you said earlier that you've made 87 episodes, but I'd like to know which one is your favorite. And no being diplomatic about it. I know you've got one. Mm. I feel it's a bit mean considering that you've both been on the podcast before. Um, so there is a pressure to say aquatic spiders or tribolium, but there have actually been a lot of really good episodes. And it is really hard to think of a favorite because depending on how I think about it, that answer kind of changes. Like I've been able to interview some people who've worked on these really iconic systems. So I interviewed some people from the Brody Lab who have this a system with toxic newts and garter snakes that predate on them. And it's been like a key component of evolutionary biology education, like for my entire career. Uh, so getting to interview them was incredible. I've been able to interview some people who have been incredibly influential, like Anne Yoder. People outside of evolutionary biology might not know who she is. People inside evolutionary biology almost certainly will. And I got very excited when she agreed to do an interview with me. But I guess there are two episodes in particular that really stick out to me. One is with the former president of the Genetic Society, Professor Enrico Cohen. And we had a chat about science communication as a form of storytelling, a bit like you were saying earlier, Mike, and how storytelling kind of facilitated the emergence of the scientific discipline and the evolution of human intelligence. And that was really cool because Enrico was really instrumental in setting up the Genetic Society's Communicating Your Science workshop, which I know I went on as a PhD student. I know you went on as a PhD student. I'd encourage anyone who's a PhD student who wants to learn more about communicating their research to look at and go on. It's an incredible experience. So that was just a lot of fun, basically being able to talk about science as a form of storytelling. The other one that really sticks out was with a high school teacher called John Hill from a high school on the island of Jersey in the Channel Islands. Um, and he was joined by a couple of his students who were both 17, Daisy and Caitlin. And they were doing this incredible project where they'd gotten their hands on these portable next generation sequencers called Minions. 
and they were sequencing the genomes of daffodils on Jersey as high school students. And it was kind of the first time that a lot of these pupils had taken like control of their own scientific project. They got to learn tons. They were using technology that me, like even during my PhD, I wasn't able to get my hands on it because it was so incredibly hard to get hold of. And it was basically about inspiring the next generation of geneticists, of evolutionary biologists, of plant scientists. And a lot of the students did actually change their minds on what they wanted to study when they got to university. So just hearing about that project was incredible. And it stuck with me. Um, and I know that some of the editors really went above and beyond to help get that paper into a very sort of journal specific format and really help them write it. So yeah, it was an incredible experience. Nice. Uh, and I'm not at all bitter about you not choosing the Tribolium episode. <laughs> so actually, funny story about the Tribolium episode, um, and hopefully Barbara Mabel will be okay with me saying this, but that is the only episode that I have ever put out where Barbara Mabel has emailed me back straight away being like, I now have to find a way to work on this system. <laughs> so I don't know if she actually can or if she just got very excited by it, but however you explained it in that episode, got the former editor-in-chief very excited about your work. So That's nice to hear. And Sarah, any questions for James before he goes? It's your last chance. Well, thanks for a chance to ask a, a last question. So actually, first of all, I just want to say a massive thank you. James, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for all the people who you've given a voice to, to explain their science in a slightly different way. And I think it just illustrates how science communication is a career in itself and doing it properly, how it's not easy. But what I really love about the podcasts and the ones I've listened to is how you allow a different, different types of voices and different ways of expressing themselves that I think really has made a difference. So thank you very much for doing that. So I guess I just want to wish you all the best for whatever you do next. And to say that this community, you're always a part of, and say thank you, Mike, for continuing on the tradition. And we really hope that things will evolve so that ever more people, perhaps those who wouldn't ever imagine that they could be part of a podcast, actually are in the future. Well said. Yeah, thank you very much. I really mean it, James. You've just done, I think it's, I don't know how really to, to express it more eloquently and I'm sure people could but I guess that's the whole point people like me can be part of this community can be helped by people like you and Mike to explain what we've done and to tell it in a way that audiences who might not necessarily have read the heredity paper will understand and it makes a difference and it really matters and I would just like to finally say to pick up on the comment you made about editors helping the daffodil paper a great what a great example that that's what this community is all about there is so much work behind the scenes to make the science the best that it can be and to make the biggest difference that it can. And I will now, in my mind's eye, have a daffodil to symbolise that, actually. Um, and the fact that it's coupled with a minion out in the field is absolutely perfect to illustrate the fact that this is forward-looking, cutting-edge things that really make a difference. And you can be a high school student or you can be one of the greats that is mentoring people who are in the field and we're all part of the same community. It's, it's great. There you go. You heard it from the Editor-in-Chief. And with that, we've come to the end of today's episode. You can find out how to submit your research papers to the journal on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, send an email to hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm Mike Pointer. Thanks, of course, to Sarah Goodacre and James Bergen. And thanks to you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 